Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 459 now of the Ron and Don Show. And, oh, yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, Ron and I uh, grew up in New Mexico. Let's talk about a movie that was being filmed there. Uh, You've probably heard of it by now, Rust, starring Alec Baldwin. A gun goes off, and people on the set are shot. And as a result of that, there's now been a settlement. But is there a possibility that Alec Baldwin will still be arrested? And the short answer is yes. And wait till we talk about the settlement, because the settlement is kind of crazy, you guys. Is it crazy or is it beautiful? We'll talk about that. Also, the greatest beer run ever. <laughs> Zach Efron, what's really funny is at a very young age, he discovered that he was an alcoholic and he stopped drinking. Uh, as a result of that, his movie career has really taken off. But now he's starring in a movie that's just coming out about the greatest beer run ever where he decides that he needs to go see his friends. The problem is his friends are in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he asks himself, what could I do for these guys right now? And he says, you know what? Maybe the guys need a beer. (laughs) The greatest beer run ever. Could it be the greatest movie ever? It's a true story, and we'll talk about that straight ahead. Before we get to that, though, Let's get to this because I and, and I don't know if this is just me or if this is something that is happening. Uh, but I know that I need what I, what I've learned in counseling is when you're holding something inside, you got to get your truth out there. You got to drag it into the light. You have to have a discussion about it. And 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 I don't know what this is. I I don't, I don't know what this is. And I don't know if it's because a lot of millennials and a lot of young. And I don't want to blame things on millennials. I don't, I don't know if it's because a lot of them don't have their driver's license or I don't know if they're anti-car, but what, what I've been noticing, uh, for instance, when I take my son to school in the morning is to get to school now takes so damn long. And the reason it takes so damn long is everybody is using any part of the road and any part of the street as a crosswalk, right? And you know in the city of Seattle that anytime you get to a corner, even if there's not a painted crosswalk, legally, and I don't know if this is true in the state of Washington, but I know it's true in Seattle, legally, that, that's a crosswalk, and, and you have to stop for that person, right? And and what's interesting is it gets darker a little earlier, and, and it gets it's darker in the morning, and rain is returned, and clouds are coming, you have to be really careful in the morning about being on your phone, let's say, or jumping on a Bluetooth call or looking at your maps. You better not be checking out emails or YouTube videos or any of that. You really have to pay attention because all around you, there's now scooters that are motorized and there's bicycles that are motorized and people are flying around without helmets on. And we always heard there's a helmet law here in Seattle. I guess, do we still have a helmet law? I don't know how that works. Nonetheless, not only... Are people using every curb uh, in in my neighborhood 
as, as a crosswalk and nobody is walking to the, like, I want people to walk to the corner because I want to know when to stop. Cause a lot of times what happens and my concern is the car behind me, that's looking at their phone on their dash. And all of a sudden someone just starts walking across from a corner. It's not a painted crosswalk or they just step off a curb in the middle of a block. They're not looking at you. They're not waving and saying, hello. I want to be thanked. Yeah, I want to be thanked for the inconvenience. And 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 on top of that, we are walking through. So last time I saw this, and this was a great fix when I was in New York City. I tell you what, cars, cops, buses, Uber drivers, nobody, there's no one out there that is, they're just not afraid to get on their horn and let people know, let people know on a bike, let people know in a car, and also let pedestrians know. It's pretty amazing. My son and I were back there in April, and 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 in the minute you step off the plane into the city, you just hear horn honking throughout New York City. And what I found is when I came back from New York, I was honking at everyone because I was like, this is. This, this is freedom in New York. I'm going to bring freedom to Seattle. And what I noticed is when I honk at people, especially when they're crosswalk, and I have done that, I give them the little toot-toot thing, they, they, they walk even slower. It's even slower. And sometimes they don't hear you because their headphones and their headpieces are in. And, and, and it's one of the reasons why there's over 10,000 people in the United States that were killed in crosswalks, non-crosswalks, stepping off a curb, not paying attention. And I have to, I know I have to change my mindset because people aren't going to change because of me or because I can't, I went to New York and I came back and I'm one man in the city of Seattle. And I'm going to start using my horn. But I find myself using my horn more and I should probably use it less. No. And then, then the other thing that I've been doing is doing slow drive-bys on the RVs that are returning to the city. And I'm up very early in the morning, you guys. And sometimes I go into the gym at 5 a.m. And I know this is horrible. I shouldn't do I pull up next to them. There's there's some that were uh, just under the uh, overpass down the street from me. And we've had so much crime in our neighborhood. I see these guys chopping bikes and nobody's doing anything about it. I saw the city of Seattle come by. I thought they were going to move them. They're actually uh, pumping their toilet for them. So, so I do a slow drive by and I just lean on the horn, like just lean on it, just lean. Cause I, cause I'm like, if I'm up at 5am, then you get to be up at 5am too. Cause chances are you just went to bed cause you're in my neighborhood breaking into our garages and our homes and our cars. So anyway, I know this sounds awful. I know it does. But I thought I'd drag it into the light this morning and say that Don has a horn problem. What say you? I, <laughs> I, I fully embrace the horn you see. You know am, me. Am I, am I, I, I no, know. you're. I, I get it. I, I, I want. I, I want real analysis, though. I don't want to. Is, is this no, really? So, ha- is this really happening? Yeah, and I'm going to add one thing to your rant that is legit to me uh, for safety and for aggravation. Somehow, somehow the uh, the right of way, like you and I grew up, and this probably oh. goes back to where we grew up. We grew up where the car had the right of way. Yeah. The pedestrian did not have the right of way uh, because you knew you would just get run over. So when you were going uh, across the crosswalk, 
it was a matter of life and death that you got across that street. You put on and, your jogging suit. And yeah. you like went across the street yeah. and it, like you meant it yeah. or else you were going to get buzzed by someone going 75 miles an hour on a residential street. Here in the Pacific Northwest, for whatever reason, the right of way seems to have defaulted to the pedestrian. Yeah. So they have an entitlement feeling when they stick their toe totally into entitled. the water. Yeah. They are entitled that everybody's going to stop yeah. while I'm checking my, you know, my TikTok videos as I cross the street. Yeah, when I, and, and, and just to jump in real quick, as a pedestrian, I, I do the hustle walk. I wave. Even if it's a fake hustle. I, I, just yes, move your arm faster. I do the fake hustle walk. I've showed my son to always look the driver in the eyes. And you, you do the, no, to, the acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Thank them. And also, you know, the car isn't going to come hit you. And then, and then you have to do a new thing now where you're looking for all these battery-powered bikes that are actually motorcycles. These are motorcycles. These are not bikes. So let me people, are on, people are on motorcycles dressed up as bikes and they're flying through the neighborhood at 45 miles an hour. So Those are not bikes. Those let, me, are let me throw my addition to this and yeah. tell me. I'll be uh, quiet now. I've, I've, and get I've your analysis. I was on a scooter going home the other you're day. A, you're the problem. And so I'm cruising up. But you know, the street I live a on. motorized scooter. You just said motor- you weren't going to interrupt. You're right. You're right. The street that I live on has the ingeniously designed parking next to the curb then the bike lane then a stripe and then the buses and then the cars (laughs) and so i'm in the lane that has the bicycle literally spray painted on the ground where the car doors open and take you and so (laughs) for whatever reason and and i'm actually imploring everybody that uses ride shares to jump on this bandwagon with me There is a preponderance of rideshare drivers, and I don't know understand why this happens, where when their map on their phone, when the app on their phone says that you, they've arrived and that they need to stop, they just stop. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're in the middle of the road, if there's a thousand cars behind them, if the app says to stop, they stop, regardless of if there's a a spot next to the curb that's like 10 feet in front of them. Yeah. And so I'm I'm cruising up on the, uh, and this happens all the time, I'm cruising up, dude is just parked, even though there's a space against the curb to park, he's parked in the bicycle lane, puts his hazards on, and his, the Uber driver is standing in front of his car. Mm. And so I'm on this scooter, which now forces me into the lane yeah. where the cars are zooming by. So I just stopped, and I said, hey, is this your car? And he said, yes. And I, and I wasn't yelling. I just said, in the future, can you pull into the curb? There's a space available. You're forcing me into the lane. And, and I've also seen people that go by and like slap the hood of the car or pound on it when they're doing that. And I don't begrudge the people that do that because they, it's, it's an epidemic in Seattle. And the flip side of that, I was in a, a ride share the other day and the guy stopped in the middle of a main street. No signal. And I said, yeah. Feel free to pull up. There's a place to park right there. Yeah. I can walk 15 feet. And so I, I I hope that everybody that ride shares just say that when when someone is stopping or picking you up, just let's all self-correct with with these drivers to say, I can I'm I'm capable of walking. Please go to the curb. Do not block a lane of traffic or a bicycle lane where people are riding their bicycles. 
uh, because the app told you that you've arrived. Like that, that doesn't mean that you get to stop like in the middle of Mercer. Oh, I've arrived. I guess I'm stopping here. It's like, no, find an appropriate place to park. It's, it's so infuriating and it forces people into dangerous situations because if you're riding your bike or you're riding a scooter and this guy's blocking the lane, you have to go out into traffic in uh, a bus or a car or whatever can be zooming by, and not paying attention because they're watching TikTok videos. Are, are people walking slower in the in the in the crosswalk, or is that just my growing oh, they older are. with with impatience? They are. They are. Yeah. Are they are they doing it to spite me or are they doing it just because they're not paying attention? Both. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with bringing the horn, the horn back. Yeah, bring it back. I'm I, I'm a I'm a frequent horn hunker. Yeah. Bring and back people get horn. mad at me they say, "Oh, why are you so angry?" It's like because people are stupid. That's it's, why I'm it's angry. It's the only time I see you lose your lunch. It's the only, and I love it because you're very calm. Otherwise, but you get behind the wheel, man. You lose your lunch. It is fun to watch. And, and but you have to admit, I'm a solid driver. I'm a good driver. I don't have to admit anything. But yeah, you're a pretty good driver. We'll see you guys. When Seattle nonprofit Plymouth Healing Communities decided to sell one of their group homes for the mentally ill and homeless, board member Catherine Walker turned to Ron and Don. It was a complicated and delicate deal. They didn't want people traipsing in and out and disturbing the residents. So instead of hanging a for sale sign, the guys turned to their deep network and found a buyer themselves. It very quickly got to terms and we signed and that was that. And then they followed through on everything to make this happen. And Catherine says she was even more blown away by what Ron and Don did next. They offered to donate their commission. It was incredible. Their generosity had a meaningful impact on the lives of 47 residents in our organization. Heart, soul, expertise, Catherine says all of that and more is what sets Ron and Don apart from other realtors. They did a great job and genuinely interested in helping us achieve our goals. They seemed truly service-minded as opposed to kind of transaction-minded. So whether you're selling or buying, take Catherine Walker's work and schedule your Ron and Don sit-down today. Please hit subscribe on your podcast player. We'd also love if you gave us a review. Now let's get back to building Ted. I mean Laverne and Shirley. No, seriously, it's R&D and with me, that's three. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. And down in New Mexico, my niece actually works for Netflix. And one of the reasons she works for Netflix is that that's her new headquarters down there. And there's a lot of movies that used to be shot in other places uh, especially in places like Toronto or up in Vancouver, even here in Seattle. And the reason you don't see those movies being shot here anymore is because we don't provide the tax breaks that they do in places like New Orleans and also in Santa Fe, anywhere in the in the state of New Mexico. They want that business, right? They need those jobs because it's one of those poor states in the country and the poverty level is unbelievable and there's a lot of reservations there. And actually... Uh, for the Navajo Nation, for instance, owning, being able to own and provide jobs uh, through gaming has, has really saved and uplifted a lot of these Native American communities. So nonetheless, lots of movies filmed down there. It wasn't surprising to me that Alec Baldwin was down there and he was filming. And what we're seeing a lot of now on Netflix, because you can't go out all the time 
and get Marvel kind of money to shoot a movie like he was shooting that was a Western called Rust, right? And I think we all know what happened probably, was it over a year ago now, where he was on set, uh, he fired a gun, he said he never fired the gun, Uh, the police say, oh yeah, he fired the gun, the gun had to be fired. And so nonetheless, the, the... the, well, he the, fired the gun, and it was supposed to be a movie blank. It was a live round in yeah. the weapon, and so he didn't realize a live round was in the weapon. He was handed the gun by the movie armorer, yeah. who was a very inexperienced armorer, and there w- was somehow a live round got in here. It was the same thing that happened on the movie The Crow, uh, where the lead actor, who I'm trying to figure, remember his name, Brendan... Um, Lee Brendan Lee was also killed with a live round. Yeah, and so this is that—that that was the backstory of when he fired the gun. Yeah, and and on a lot of these movie sets, there I think this is a twelve million dollar budget. So it's it, it's not a lot. Twelve million dollars is not a lot to make a movie. So nonetheless, not only was Alec starring in this, but he was also one of the executive producers on this. And so people wonder, will he be charged? It hasn't been decided. And by the time you hear this, they may have charged him, right? Well, there's an interesting development because when all this happened, he ended up shooting two people. And one was one of the directors on the film, and he survived. The other one was the cinematographer. She did not. She passed away. And as a result of that, uh, Alec Baldwin went and met with her husband and child immediately and tried to comfort them. And they said, we don't. Uh, we really appreciate Mr. Baldwin and spending time with us. And, and, and then a few months later, the husband of the deceased woman, he ended up on the Today Show saying that Alec Baldwin was culpable and, and what he did, he needs to basically pay for, right? Fast forward to right now, there's been a settlement. They're gonna, Alec Baldwin said that they would never uh, finish that movie the, the settlement is this. They're going to finish the movie. The gentleman who was shot is going to come back and work on the movie. The husband of the deceased, deceased cinematographer is now going to be credited as one of the executive producers of the movie. And he's going to have a say. There's also, get this, been a financial settlement between Alec Baldwin and, and this family that's been left behind. And, and, and the question is this, the question is this, Ron, do you, do you think Alec Baldwin bought his freedom because even though that this is a civil case and, and there's charges that still could be brought, a lot of times charges are brought when authorities are feeling pressure from the family. And many families will wait until they get through the criminal trial, if there is a criminal trial, because in the civil case, it could be worth more money. So you usually don't settle, and, all, and, and Ron and I do a news talk all these years, we, we watch this. You typically don't, se- the family would, would, would do what the family was doing last January and February. You go on the Today Show, you put pressure on the authorities to charge him. Then you wait and see if a jury will give you a guilty verdict and you sit on the stand and you testify against him and you do, and, and, and you talk about the pain and the suffering. And then you get a big check on the other side. They took their check. They're going back to work. They're going to finish this movie. And the husband says that this was his, his wife's life's work. And so that's why they want to finish this movie. Ron, what say you? Is this something that's really beautiful and cool? 
or is this something where Alec Baldwin is able to go in because of his celebrity and his financial ability to pay this family off? And and now they're going to participate in the making of this movie. Well, the, as you mentioned, Valencia County uh, still has a criminal case uh, open right now. And the armorer uh, and Alec Baldwin are both being criminally investigated, which, which I think is fair. I, I, I think if there's just to get this off to the side first, if there's criminality here in my mind, the criminality, the preponderance of that, the majority of it goes with their armorer. Like that literally is her profession to make sure that there is gun safety on the movie set. I, I can see a, 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 a huge number of scenarios where Alec Baldwin, who's executive producing and acting in a movie, is relying on the professionals around him to have their stuff squared away. And when they hand him a weapon to say this is ready to, to film that he trusts them that they did their job right. I know there's criticism that says even, even with all that I just said, it's still incumbent on the person pulling the trigger to double check the rounds. And, and that could be a valid point. Does that lead? Is that criminal? Is, you know, was his intention to hurt anybody? I think you could unequivocally say no. So here's the thing where I but think. But was it negligent? Because, because. It could have been. Well, with, that's why they settled. Because with negligence, you don't have is to be. Is it criminal negligence? Well, and, the, and then the question becomes, he's in charge of that armor. It's his movie set. Correct. He hired her and they're saying they should have had three armors on that set. They had one. Well, let, let's do a different thing. Let's say a light rigger puts up a light incorrectly and it falls and killed somebody. Would we say, and I know that this is different, but it's kind of the same is like, is Alec Baldwin ultimately he'd be responsible because it's his movie set. But would you say, well, he has to inspect every light. It's different because he says he didn't pull the trigger and he blames it on the armor and, and, and the police are saying, and, and this is why it's a case. He did pull the trigger. He right. Did, he fired he, the weapon. He did, he's saying he did not. He, he's saying he did not fire. He did not fire the weapon. The weapon was handed to him, and the weapon was cocked, and it went off. So, so, so that's where they're splitting hairs about he he fired the weapon. Did he drop the light on that person, or was it rigged and it just fell? He participated in the killing of this woman. Whereas, if you're dropping a light, I don't, I don't, I don't see unless he's holding the light and accidentally drops it. Then, then you're participating. He fired the weapon that, that killed her. So I think that the, by the nature of this settlement that you described, it seems like this family is, go, is, is, is going through the stages of grief to where now maybe they've arrived at some sort of acceptance to say, nothing we can do is going to bring back our loved one. Uh, she was doing uh, her job and her creative vision on this movie. And we would like for that to be finished. So I, I can see that through the light of, of taking it on its face, of saying, we don't want this movie to not be finished because this will be the lasting legacy of our loved one. And so therefore, make me an executive producer because you'll financially benefit from that and have a little bit of creative control to, to you know have his wife's legacy or his dead wife's legacy live on. So that to me seems genuine like like there there's no why would you do that if you weren't ready to in a sense acquiesce to the the fact that your wife is passed 
and there's nothing you can do to bring her back. Hey, I feel great for this family. The fact that they're going to participate, if this really was her life's work, I don't, I don't know. Uh, they have a young son. Why grow up bitter? And I'm sure they got lots of compensation and that doesn't bring her back. But being able sometimes to uh, participate in finishing her story, and, and a lot of people are going to watch this movie now because of it, right? A, a lot of people are. This, this, this would have been a movie that, that, that nobody watched, and now, and now everybody will. And as a result of that, because he's an executive producer on it, it means financially they'll get a piece of the movie as well for their future. So, so the fact that they're not going to let bitterness rule the day, and they found a path forward, and they didn't have to take all the money, they took some of the money, and now they're going to participate in finishing – uh, finishing this movie, I actually think it's pretty cool. I do. I do. And, and I think Alec Baldwin probably was negligent. And I think it should cost him money because he was the executive producer and the buck stopped with him. And sometimes you go out and you hire people on the cheap so you can put more money in your pocket. That is clear to me. It's very clear to me that that's what they did here. It was negligent and she died as a result of that. But I think it's a waste of jail space and it's a waste of time uh, if this family feels like they want to move forward, uh, then I hope he's not prosecuted in this. We'll see you on the other side. Hey, you guys. I'm sitting here with Mitch Weeks right now, one of the great sponsors of the Ron and Don show. He is a mortgage broker, and you can find out more about him at Mitch.loans. Hey, a really cool time to be creative when it comes to being a buyer. And there's sellers right now that are stepping up and saying, let me help the buyer by doing something called a buy down, right? Yeah, they are. And it's one of those things that's beneficial for both sides. Sellers give money up front for the buyers to buy down their rate and save money for the life of the loan. It's a really creative solution, really working for a lot of people. Yeah, there's also something called a 2-1. What's a 2-1? A 2-1 is where you get your rate bought down 2% for the first year, 1% for the second year, and then after that, you're home free in your current rate. But it's great savings up front, and then you have a chance to refi over the next two years. Yeah, good news, good time to be a buyer, good time for sellers to be creative and help that buyer. And Mitch, you can help everyone. Uh, how do people reach out? Go to Mitch.loans, set up a meeting, and let's figure out a creative solution for you. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, if you need us, just reach out. A lot of people have been doing that. And I'll tell you what, if you're thinking about selling or buying a home, even if it's next spring, summer, or fall, now is the time that we should be sitting down. Yeah, and a lot of times we talk about investment strategies on this on the show, but there are sometimes just life circumstances that happen that require you to move or to sell or to buy. And so we get that. And, and that's divorced from what the interest rate is or what the cycle of the market is. Sometimes, like we just closed on a, on a house in Green Lake, they, they had a, a family situation happen that necessitated the sale of the house. And so timing the market or strategizing and all that stuff, it's like that, that was the time because that's when their life happened. Yeah. And so if you're in that situation as well, or you just moved and you need to buy something, uh, to maybe you want your kid in a specific school district or whatever it is, like the, life is still happening right now, regardless of what the Fed is doing with the interest rates. Yeah, and know this. If, you, if you're thinking about buying... you. It, Buyers want to work with you. They want to do buy downs. Sellers want to work with you. Or I'm sorry, sellers want to work with you. Yeah. Uh, and buyers want to work with sellers right now. Because the bottom line is this. You can buy a home right now for a little less. 
And then when interest rates go back down a year or two years down the road, then you're going to refinance uh, and you're going to look back and go, wow, that really was a good time to buy. And I know people are trying to time the market, just like you tried to time it when, to, when it went to the top. And now you're wondering if this is going to tumble down. Here in our microclimate of Seattle, uh, prices are holding and prices are just going to continue to go up. A year from now, houses will be worth more money in really important neighborhoods in Seattle than, than they were at this time right now. They just are. They're going to continue to go up. Uh, but it's not going to be at the accelerated rate it was because money was free, basically. All right. So anyway, if you need us, ronadonsitdown.com. Before we get out of here uh, today, uh, so much money, we were just talking about movies being made, so much money now is being spent either on a series that maybe you'll see on Netflix, a lot of money being piled into that, or a Marvel movie, right? You into the Marvel universe. And it's funny to hear Robert Downey Jr. right now talk about being Iron Man. It seems like he's a little bitter about it. And and I think what happens, and maybe what he didn't recognize, is that Iron Man in a lot of ways revitalized his career, right? And and now he can't get away from it. He can't get away from that character because now he wants to go on and do other. And this is where you see a lot of actors go out and they end up doing things like Rust, like like Alec Baldwin. Is that you, you do something different that maybe you self-finance, you self-produce, you self-direct because you still want to work. But everybody you know, sees you as Iron Man. That's why Zach Efron, I, I think he's a really interesting character. He just did Baywatch. I haven't seen that. Is it out yet? I'm not sure. He did say, and I love his honesty. He said, hey, just so you know when you see me in Baywatch, the body that I have on in Baywatch is impossible. It's an, it, it, it's, it's impossible. The, the, the restrictive diet, the four hours working out a day, and the drugs. And he admitted it. The drugs I had to take, which basically means you know he was, he was doing steroids. The drugs I had to take to create this body, it's unattainable. And I think that comes from a place when he was younger, a younger actor. He, he had a problem with drugs and alcohol. And he made a decision uh, uh, to no longer do that. And he said that's when his career really took off. So he makes the Baywatch movie. He has another, and this is what's really interesting to me, he has another movie coming out now called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. And this is based on a true story. And it's about a guy who has friends that are overseas fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. They're fighting in Vietnam. Or fighting in Vietnam. The true story is chicky. There's There's a man who was a merchant marine. And he said he had gone That's to right, a, Vietnam. That's he had right. gone to a bunch. He's in his eighties now. Yeah. He had gone to a bunch of uh, funerals and felt like he didn't want to go to funerals. He wanted to see his buddies from the neighborhood while they're still alive, but they happen to be in Vietnam. Yeah. So he said, "You know what I'm going to do? Because like I know I know how to navigate the waters. I know how to be on a ship, etc." He's like, "I'm going to get as much beer as I can fit." He goes, "I just want to give these guys a beer." So he's like. I'm gonna- <laughs> So he says he's going to get as much beer as he can fit into this big duffel bag. Yeah. He found a uh, a vessel that was going uh, to to the Pacific. He ends up getting just sort of working his way as like when he's there he's a civilian. Yeah. So he uh he gets to to Vietnam and he like hitches rides on helicopters, he hitches rides on jeeps like all these he wants to find the guys from his hometown mm. on the front lines in vietnam and when he gets there he hands him a beer <laughs> and and so uh he ends up writing a memoir yeah. uh in his he now lives in florida he's in his 80s he's got seven grandkids and he uh chicky wrote a memoir 
That's his nickname. And I think it came out in 2019 or 2020. The book was optioned, and now they're making this movie. So it's it's based on his real-life story. Of The thing I kept thinking of when I was li- reading through this is like, okay, when he gets there, that beer is going to be really warm. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure the guys, you know, it's the gesture uh, and they probably hadn't had a beer for a while if you're on the front lines in Vietnam. So they, they, they've adapted the movie. Because you were too busy doing cocaine. Yeah, Zach Efron no uh, beers in Vietnam, plays Chicky, huh? yeah. uh, and he's the one carrying his duffel bag in civilian clothes to the front lines. Yeah, and the reaction of his buddies, and I won't give that part of the movie away, the, the reactions of, of his buddies is extraordinary. So It seemed gimmicky, but now that I know, when I saw, the, I saw a commercial for it, I was like, what a dumb premise for a movie. You know, and I didn't I, realize it was, it was a true story. I and, and Zac Efron is out there trying to get that story out there. And I think it, cause I thought the same thing. I'm like, that that's a, that's dumb. And then, <laughs> and then when I heard him talk about it and, and then I, I heard the, the, the premise and his passion for the movie, I was like, maybe, maybe the movie needed a different name, the greatest beer run ever. And at the same time, when you hear him explain it, he, he's like, you know, I asked myself if, if, if I was there and I was on the front lines, what I would want, I'd want a beer. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm just going to take I, those guys a beer. I kind of want to see it now. Cause I've seen the, there's a dual interview with Chicky and Zach. Yeah. And, you know, this guy's in his eighties. He didn't, he never heard of Zach Efron. He didn't know who he was. Yeah. And so to see those guys together, uh, talking, it, it's, it's pretty charming. Yeah. The power of a beer. Anyway. Hey, you guys, thanks for stopping by episode 459. Now, of the Ron and Don show. Don't forget if you need us is your licensed realtors as your friends, as your broadcasters, all you got to do is reach out. Yeah. Email me directly, Ron at ronanddon.com. I'm going out with a buyer today. Hopefully we'll find a townhouse that we're going to put an offer in on. And if you're a seller, now's a great time to do all your prep work because it, it takes a minute to get your house ready uh, to sell in this market. So email me directly. I can get you our Ron and Don buyer or seller uh, playbook. Yeah. And don't forget if you are out buying, buy a property that has a second door. The amount of money that you can create for yourself with a second door. I have a cottage in my backyard just last month. And, and uh, that, that cottage made $11,000. I have an ADU just in one month. I, I have an ADU in my basement. There's a, in fact, the Tesla you see out front right now. It's owned by a traveling nurse. Traveling nurses now drive Teslas because they make a lot of money. And, and the traveling nurse that's down there pays $3,500 a month. So I live in the house that I'm sitting in right now at the studio for free right? That doesn't happen overnight. Took a lot of work to get here, had to build this, but there's a lot of homes that you'll find now because, because the city of Seattle wants to see these backyard cottages. And you know what you can do down the road? You can, let's say you're going to sell, you can soft a backyard cottage. You can sell that as a home and you can sell your main house with the ADU as a home. If you want to know how to do that, I'm an expert. I'm here to help you. All you got to do is reach out, write me Don at ronanddon.com. Everything is at ronanddon.com sitdown.com all right you guys ron and i are going on a beer run yeah <laughs> keep your head up your shoulders back maybe we'll show up at your work with a few beers right? we used to do that in the south with soul food that's a lot of fun never knew we were coming head up shoulders back we'll see you next time you listen to the ron and don show Only on the ron and don radio network now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time only 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 on the Ron Don Radio Network.